How is everybody today? Good, good, good. Rex and the family are enjoying some much needed, I'm sure, vacation and relaxation time. I'm glad that they can do that. Um, If you're visiting, if you're a guest with us today, he'll be back next week. So come back. You can hear the real guy do it. Um, I I just like to do that because I I would hate for someone to to hear me preach and say, whoa, I ain't going back there. Because there's a guy that really does a good job and he'll be here next week. And he's our main preacher. And and we love them dearly. And I'm very glad. It's it's difficult as a pastor. And um, it's good for them. I'm very glad they have taken the time to go have some uh, have some time away. So, uh, and I don't know if any of you know that Colin hurt his shoulder on Friday before they left Saturday morning. So, so pray for pray for them because um, he's getting to spend vacation with a dislocated shoulder. I think they got it back in place, but still probably some things out of probably a little out of whack in there. I would think. Um, so just keep them in your prayers. Um, so today. We're going to talk about dadisms. How many of you are a dad? How many of you have had a dad? Good. We've got our hands raised. First service is much different than second service. It takes me like 15 minutes to get the first hand raised. No, I'm just teasing. But today we're going to talk a little bit about dads. Um, My father, the most influential man in my life, taught me a lot of what I know and is hugely responsible for the for the person that I am today, the man that I am today. And he, after at the age of seventy, on his birthday, August thirtieth this year, he's going to actually retire. Retire. I have to say it that way because he retired eighteen years ago from the Highway Patrol and took a job with the state, and he's worked for the state for eighteen years. And I've been we've been telling him for a long time to retire and that we would like to have some time to spend with him in his retirement. And so he's finally decided, it's taken a long time, he's finally decided he's going to actually retire and not take another job on August 30th. So I'm very excited about that. And so part of that, that's been kind of on my mind. This is his month. Uh, this is the month he's going to finish his, his second career. And as I was thinking about today's message and was wrestling with the passage, it came to me that, that dads are very good at lessons. You ever notice that? First service wasn't, wasn't too on board with me, but, but there's a lesson in everything for a dad, right? Those of you that have had dads, then your dad tried to teach you something about everything. Every time you go somewhere, a fly could land on your food. Dad's got a lesson about closing screens or something. It, it, it can't just be that we're outside having a picnic and a fly happened to land on my hot dog. It, it has, there has to be a lesson in there somewhere. And so... But a lot of times they come with little, uh, like sayings and they have their, dads are also known for phrases, right? Everybody's, your, your dad probably had some phrases for you. One of my, one of my grandpa's favorite phrases was they so dumb they couldn't pour water out of a boot with directions on the bottom. And, um, I've adopted that one for some people in my life. It's okay. Uh, some people have adopted that for me in their life. So it's okay. We, we, we both understand each other. So part of this, so my, my points today, actually the sermon, there's four points today and I'll get through them still close to 30 minutes. So don't think I'm adding like 20 minutes for everything. So we're still going to be right around the same time. But I'm going to have four points today and they're all things that my dad kind of taught me growing up. They were dadisms to me that I heard over and over again. And so I thought, you know, it'd be cool because 
I've got a daughter that still lives at home. We were on vacation this week. And so I said, hey, Alani, why don't you write down some dadisms? And I'm going to tell you, if you're ever going to preach a sermon, don't ask your kid to help you with your sermon. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she took this opportunity. No, I'm just kidding. She's, she's not that bad. I love her. So I asked her to give me some of the dadisms from her own perspective that, that, that are, she's heard me say on more than one occasion. More than, more than the occasion she'd want, probably, actually. But this is what she said. Get over it. You're fine. Can I get an amen from a dad out there? Right? <laughs> if kid falls down, scrapes their knee, mom goes to, mom goes to call 911 and make sure the squad's on standby in case the scrape is actually going to bleed. Dad's like, I hey, put a little dirt on that thing, kid, get up. But I'm, these are the nuggets I've impacted my daughter with. I just want you to know that. Um, the, the other one that she, that she said I say a lot is help me help you. Some of you will catch that on the way home. Um, but I do say that to her quite a bit. And another one was, if, if you mess with the bull, you get the horns. This, one is, this one's kind of fun. If you ever watch a sermon, like while Alani and I are sitting together, or if I'm preaching, we, I do this to her. I always say, if you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Well, we did it one time trying to find a passage of Scripture during a sermon. So now it's become like, a, like her thing. So when Rex says, we're going to be in John chapter 1, verse 7, she's like, fuff, 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 fuff. and then she looks at me and goes, <laughs> her Bible can be like this, just to look at me and go. So, it's, it's, and, and if I'm preaching, she does the same thing. So if I ever tell you to go to a passage you, and you want to look out of the corner of your eye, you might catch her giving me the, so, um, so it's all love. You can tell that it's all love. And another one that, that I, and this one I actually, this one I actually felt okay about because I, I think that it sounds like I'm positive and not always negative, right? I believe in you more than you believe in you. And so I, I, I got a little bit of help out of that one. But think about your own dad. Or if you were a dad, think about the pieces of wisdom that you would want your kid, that you've wanted your kids to get, or that your dad has given to you. And we're going to look at those things today. And I want you to read with me in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And I'm way too lazy to put it all up on the screen for you. So that's why we have Bibles. It's, we put the page up there for you. It's 819. If you need a Bible, you can look in there. Um, and, and we'll read that for you. But I thought about typing it up for you. And uh, I love you, but... My love for you doesn't overcome my laziness, so I apologize. And it is kind of fun for me as a preacher to hear your pages rattle. Because that means you're actually paying attention and not asleep. <laughs> or you brought the paper with you and you're catching up on the, on the local news. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your, fathers, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on, I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. But after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went, though secretly, staying out of public view. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. 
There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowd. Some argued, he's a good man. But others said, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public. For they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. First of all, the first dadism that I want to share with you this morning that I see in this scripture. And, and I want to tell you, sometimes, sometimes when you're working on any in teachers, instructors, anything like that, sometimes lessons come easy and sometimes they take a little bit more work. to. And I just want to tell you, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me, but this was one of those passages that I really wrestled with. I fought with this thing. I mean, it and I, I ripped some pages out of Bibles trying to get to the bottom of this thing. And what I finally found was I had to flip it because one of the things I tell my small group when I teach my small group is remember that Jesus was always completely divine and completely human, right? You've heard that before. He was, he was all human and he was all God when he was here on earth. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll take a passage and we'll look at it and we'll look at it through the eyes of Jesus being God, right? And then we'll look at other passages and we'll look at those passages, passages as Jesus being human. And very seldom do we actually try and put the two together. And I've always read this passage of scripture and just view Jesus as God. And so I struggled with a lot of things in there. But then I flipped it and I thought, what if I look at this passage of scripture from the human side of it? From, from Jesus actually being a human and not just his godly side. And it completely changed the passage for me. So as we go through this sermon, as we go through this message today, and as you look in the scripture, I want you to think that way. I want, you to, I want you to keep in your mind that Jesus is completely human at the same time as completely divine. Because it makes this passage much different. So my first dadism for you today is choose your friends wisely. Before we get to that... What festival? Anybody know what? Anybody pay attention and know what festival Jesus is avoiding right now? Anybody pay attention? Good. Okay, it's the festival of booths or shelters, and so there were three major feasts that every Jewish male in the Jewish religion had to go be part of. They had to make the trip. If you were a Jewish male, you had to make it to Jerusalem for these three events every year. One was the Feast of Tabernacles or Festival of Shelters, Booths, whatever. We've changed the names on it, but that's, that's what you'll see it in your scriptures, one of those three probably. One was Passover, and one was the Pentecost, right? So this one, the Feast of Shelters, was done so that they could celebrate their provision in the wilderness. Remember, God provided for them for how long in the wilderness? Starts with an F and rhymes with Ordy. Forty. Good. You guys are very you guys are very well educated. I like it. Forty years they'd wandered around in the wilderness, and God provided for them that whole time, right? So they, they had manna for a while and they got tired of manna. They whined and complained because manna was terrible. And so God gave them quail, but but he kept he continued to provide for them. But we they for forty years. I mean, think about that. How many of you ever, I, how many of you have seen the movie European Vacation? You can raise your hand like this because you don't want to show it in church, maybe. But that's what, it's, it's not something we show in church. But there's a part in there where Chevy Chase has his family and they're on vacation and they get stuck in England going around one of those traffic circles. Now we have them everywhere, so you get used to them. But they didn't know traffic. And so in there, like five times, Chevy Chase goes, "Hey, look, kids, Big Ben. Hey, kids, look, Big Ben. Hey, kids, look, Big Ben." And so when you think about, when I, anytime I think about the Israelites in the wilderness, I can't help but think of that movie. Because isn't, I mean, can you imagine 40 years in one wilderness just walking around? How many times did you see the same tree? 
Hey, guys, I know we've been here before. How about we leave something? No, well, you're just wandering. God had them wandering for 40 years in, in, in a struggle. So, but he provided for them for that whole time. And so this festival was to celebrate that, the fact that he had provided for them, and also the harvest. It's always done toward the end of summer, their summer, where they would be harvesting, and they celebrate the, the harvest at the time to give praise to God for the harvest, which is part of his provision, right? So now that you understand why, what, what feast we're going to, there were two others that everybody had to go to, every, every male had to go to every year. What were they? Passover and what happened on Passover in the life of Jesus? Around in, during the Passover feast, what event happened? The crucifixion. Good. I'm glad you guys are with me today. Remember, what, isn't that the meal that they celebrated in the upper room? On Thursday, going into Friday, right? Then they go to the garden and all that So that was Passover. So that was one big event. The second one... What happened, on the, what happened on the day of Pentecost? It's when the Holy Spirit came, right? The, the disciples are all in the upper room. Oh, no, Jesus is dead. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, the Spirit comes in, fills them, and that's where the ministry begins, right? So two major events we've seen, two major events in this, and that have had Jesus events on two of those major holidays, and one of them has not yet. The other thing I want you to remember real quick is we're in chapter 7 of John, right? We're six months from the crucifixion. The rest of the book of John is going to cover about six months' time. So we're really going to tear apart the last six months of Jesus' life. But this, this is the last festival of shelters before Jesus will be crucified. The next time he has to go to Jerusalem for a major event will be Passover when he's crucified. Okay, everybody got, everybody got, history lessons aren't always everybody's favorite, but sometimes it helps to get us a picture of where we're at, right? So, Jesus' brothers say, hey, why don't you go with us, do some miracles there, you can become famous. And it, it's almost like he wants them to become the Kardashians or something. I don't, I, I don't they, they seem to think that he's going to, that's his goal in life. His goal in life is to be is to be famous and everybody know him. And that's, that's what his brothers say, right? His brothers say, hey, this big feast is coming up. Every Jewish male is going to be there. You really want to wow some people. There's going to be some people there to wow, right? So Jesus says, okay, sounds like a plan. Let's get this thing over with. And no, that's not what he says, is it? But I want us to stop for just a minute. What's really at the heart of the brothers? telling Jesus to go go show up at this feast and do some miracles. What do you think is really at the heart of this? What would happen with them if Jesus becomes famous? Anyone have a famous sibling? Anyone hoping for a rich uncle? Anything like that? You know what I'm saying? So the brothers are looking at Jesus. They're like, hey, <laughs> If you go become famous, <laughs> we can kind of ride along with you. And then we'll be famous too because famous is going to bring us money. It's going to bring us fame. Everybody's going to know us. We're going to be cool. We'll get the best seats in the house. Everybody will love us. So they're trying to get Jesus to do what Jesus knows he's not supposed to do yet. But they're trying to get him to do something. That's not really that far-fetched from us, is it? 
any students ever have friends try to get you to do things that you're really not supposed to do? Any adults at work ever have coworkers try to drag you into things that really aren't godly and really not what God wants you to do? Any of us ever spend time with people that don't necessarily build our relationship with the Lord, kind of tear it down? One of my dad's biggest pieces of advice to me was choose your friends wisely. I tell my kids that a lot. (laughs) Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. But think about your own life. Who do you spend time with? Now, I am not saying, please don't go out of here and say, Brian said we got to always spend time with Christians. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. The people that you keep around you to help you live your life, make sure they have the same values. The brothers didn't value the same thing that Jesus valued, did they? Their value was fame and money and importance and all of those things that most humans would want. Jesus valued following God's will and doing what the Lord wanted, doing what his father wanted him to do. He said it hundreds of times just in the small amount of, of, of John that we've read so far. I'm here to do my father's business. I'm, I'm here to do his job. Whatever he wants me to get done, that's what I'm here for. Jesus valued serving the father. The brothers valued something completely different. And you know what happens to us is we surround ourselves with people that have different values. And we spend a lot of time with people that have different values. And it has an effect on our values. And that's, that's what we have to be careful of. We have to be around. We, you can't affect non-Christians if you're never around them. We're, I'm not saying we're going to build a commune and lock the doors and nobody can get in unless they do the secret handshake. But the people that you choose to spend time with, the people that you choose to get advice from, the people that you choose to to help you lead in your life, make sure that they value what you value. Are they committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they want to help you be a better Christian? Do they want to help you grow in your faith? And if they don't, then it's okay to be their friend. It's not okay to take advice from them. Does that make sense? Imagine if Jesus would have listened to the brothers. He would have went... He would have done a few little miracles. People said, oh, wow, changes the course of history. And it wouldn't have been God's plan. Which brings us to the second dadism. And this one was always my dad's favorite, timing matters. My dad has always been a very patient person. I have always been a very impatient person. I have always been the kind of person, let's do it now. Let's do it now. We're going to go play golf. Okay, let's go. We're going to, go play, we're going to play baseball. Let's go now. Okay, we're going to play basketball. Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to go, we're, we're going to, go to the boat. Okay, let's do it. We're going to do this. I, want, I want to do it now. I want to, let's, let's do it now. Why are we waiting? Let's do it now. And my dad would always say, ah, slow down. We got time. Like, I don't have that much time in school. Unless it was work. If it was work, I could slow way down. I mean, if we, we had a project to get done. I could, man, the brakes could come out really, Let's, ooh, let's have a big breakfast this morning, Dad. And let's, uh, yeah. you know, Dad, we've been working for about 10 minutes now. It's probably about time for me to have a drink or something. You know, I need some water. So I could slow down if it was work. But I always have been, I always have been somewhat ADD. I don't, some of you that know me may know that's true. Um, but, but my dad was always very patient. 
And Jesus here shows huge patience. And he says this, Now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. And he waits. And then later it says, it says that he goes after the brothers go. And so let's think about timing. Does timing matter in your life? How many of you are educators? Do you have to, do you have to let the kids know how to do multiplication, division, addition, and subtraction before you can tell them, well, just do my dear Aunt Sally. And I know now, I, I actually got a, I got a Sunday school lesson in between sermons because I forgot they added, I knew they added something, but I couldn't remember what it was. So now it's, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally because now you got to get the parentheses and the exponents in there. And some, some of you that are like me are like, what are you talking about? But don't you have to tell them how to multiply, divide, add, and subtract before you tell them what order to do it in? This means yes, this means no. Yeah? How many of you are farmers out there? We got any farmers out here? Anybody farm? Do you plant the seed and then run the plow? And plow it all up? No. There's an order to things. At the end of the season, you plow it so it's ready to plant. Then maybe you cultivate it and level it out. And then you plant it. And then you, and then you, you don't plow it again because you want the seeds to grow. Right? And they've got to be in the ground to grow. Builders. Anybody, anybody do any building out here? Nobody does any building. Good. Whew. But what you do know, any, any hobby builders try to build something every once in a while, help put up a barn or something? All right, we, we've dabbled in a little bit. Is it important to build the foundation before you put up the roof? Well, how are you going to put the roof on there if there's no foundation and something to hold, hold the roof on? So timing does matter, doesn't it? Business people. Don't you have to have some sort of plan and have some sort of God-awful meeting before you have that, before you try and do something, before you can get something done, right? Yes? You gotta sit down and talk about it before you just go, you don't just jump in and do stuff. Relationships, you just walk up to somebody and say, hey, here's a ring, let's get married. I got a preacher, I brought a preacher with me, we're gonna get married right now, let's do it. Why waste any time? No, there's, there's timing, there, things happen in an order. And Jesus says to his brothers, it's not time yet. And I always struggled with this because it always looked to me, especially when I looked at it from God, like, like God, Jesus being God, it, I always struggled with the fact that it says they were trying to kill him so Jesus didn't go. What does that sound like about Jesus? Anybody, anybody have enough courage to say it? It sounds like he's scared, doesn't it? I mean, when you read that, they're trying to kill him, so Jesus wasn't going to go. To me, in my humanness, I'm like, well, what's he scared of? He's God for crying out loud. If they do anything, he can just, boom, we're done. Problem over. Right? So I always struggled with that. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, God has a plan, and certain things have to be laid out, and certain things have to happen before that event happens, and I can't rush it. All of us. All of us that know Jesus want to do something for his kingdom, don't we? We all want to, we all want to accomplish something. We can say, man, I really got that one right for God, right? How many of us have tried those things at the wrong time? Anyone? Oh, I have. I guess I'll just take, I'll just take this hit all by myself. It's okay. I've screwed up all kinds of things in my life trying to think I'm doing what God wanted me to do, but it, it was the wrong time. Because remember, I, I'm rushing in to do stuff, so I, I get an idea, I do it. <laughs> it, really does, it really doesn't always work out very well. 
What Jesus says is some things have to be in order. Some things have to be in place before I can show up in Jerusalem and make a big entrance and let everybody know. Because when that happens, other things already have to have been done. Think about your own life for just a minute. What kind of things in your life does timing make a difference in? What's God trying to do in your life? And what's he trying to prepare you for? And what does he want you to accomplish? And when does he want you to accomplish it? Because timing is also bad on the other side. If you mess the timing up on the other side, it's wrong too, isn't it? That, that's a mess. How many, of you ever, how many of you ever missed out on something you wish you would have done because you were just scared to do it? Could have, could have gotten a job, could have, you know, could, have, could have moved somewhere different, could have been a different career, all kinds of things. I, I could have done that, but, but I missed it. So timing is important. We ha- and to get the timing right, we have to be in tune with God, right? That's why Jesus was able to do this so well. But remember to think of it from his humanness. Wouldn't it have been easier for him to just show up, say, okay, I'm going to cru- do this cross thing. We're gonna, I'm going to come back out of the grave, and you guys are going to say, oh, wow, and then we're going to move on. It wasn't the plan. Let God work in your life in his time. Let him take your plan and make it happen. The third one that we that I see in here is, now this is my favorite. I told you the last one was my dad's favorite. This is my favorite. Sometimes the truth hurts. <laughs> you guys, see? You guys don't have any fun. Some, doesn't sometimes the truth hurt? How many, ever, how many ever had the truth hurt? How many ever got to watch somebody else let the truth hurt? Which one do you like better? I like it better when they realize the truth hurts, better than when I realize the truth hurts. Right? But what Jesus said, listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says. They can't hate you, verse 7. Now's not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. Well, there's your problem, Jesus. Maybe you should just not tell people they're doing evil and then we wouldn't have a problem. He still wouldn't have been doing what he was supposed to be doing, would he? Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes people say things that really I don't like to hear. And I would rather not hear. And I'd actually be okay if they didn't say them. Maybe that's just me. But the question is this. Think about who was mad. Who was mad that Jesus was saying this stuff? The religious leaders, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, that whole Sanhedrin thing, all those people. They're mad because Jesus is telling them the way that you think you're doing things is wrong. You, you think you're serving God, but you're actually creating more problems than you're solving. You're, you've missed the whole thing. It's not about a bunch of laws. It's about, it's about the Father. It's about the Son. It's about, it's about salvation. It's about, it's about Jesus. You guys, you guys are so far gone. Because you've gotten so wrapped up in what you think is right that you're almost, you're almost too far gone. We can't even help you. And that rather than them saying, hey, guys, maybe this guy's onto something. Maybe we should talk about this. Maybe, maybe we should examine things. Maybe, maybe we should talk, think through this and, and re-look at Scripture. Rather than doing that, they're like, oh, this guy's saying we're wrong. Well, we'll show him. We'll kill him because that's what you do. When somebody says you're wrong, you kill him. Right? That was their answer. That's, that's what they say. I don't like what you're saying. Boom, you're done. Okay. I don't have to worry about you saying anything I don't like anymore. Whew. 
But Jesus goes there knowing that they want to kill him. And I want you to think about this. I want you to roll this around in your head. How do you respond when people say things that you don't like? You sit in a sermon, you sit in church, a sermon is preached, some things in there might cause a little conviction, might might step on your toes, as the old Baptist used to say. I always told them, I'm not stepping on your toes, I'm putting it in your lap. If it falls on your toes, that's a you problem. But maybe you get your toes stepped on, maybe, maybe you think the preacher's picking on you. How do you respond to that? Because... A lot of us would say, oh, I just take it and I go pray about it. And that's good. But you would be surprised the number of times preachers have been run out of churches because they preach the truth. How, do you, how are you going to respond to that? How are you going to respond to a Christian brother or sister, a friend of yours, somebody that you actually care about, somebody that's in your inner circle and that you spend time with and you trust and you respect when they come to you and they say, I noticed something in your life that actually I want you to take, I want you to pay some attention to because I love you, because I don't want this to get out of hand. How do you respond to that? But who do you think you are? What kind of friend are you? You're, you're supposed to make, you're supposed to want me to be happy and this is making me happy. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm supposed to help you be godly. If you can be godly and we can be happy, that's fantastic. But eh. And how are you with being the friend that might have to address something like that with somebody? You see, Jesus could have come down here. He could have said, hey, uh, I love everybody. I mean, it was within God's choice to just save everybody, Right? He could just say, There's, nobody's going to hell. Nobody's doing anything wrong. Let's just enjoy a big party here on earth for a little while, a few thousand years. Then we'll bring you all up, up to heaven. He could have done that, couldn't he? But there's a purpose for why he's doing what he's doing. What role are you playing in that with, your, with those that are closest to you? Do you have the courage to be like Jesus and share with them in a loving way that there are some concerns? That's tough, isn't it? Because most of the time, when the truth is not positive, it hurts. And we're not always that good at accepting it. The last thing I want you to see out of this passage is that God's opinion matters more than other people's opinions. When you think of this from God and Jesus in the human perspective, if you put Jesus... In his humanness. Just for a minute, set aside his godliness. Just for a minute, think of him as a human and listen to what happens here as a human. Beginning in verse 10, 11. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued he's a good man, but others said he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. Listen to this. This hurts. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public. For they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Think about that as Jesus. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes for just a minute. Who who is John talking about now? 
when he says no one had the courage to speak favorably about Jesus. Who's he talking about? Is he still talking about the Jewish, the, the religious leaders? He's talking about the people that he healed. He's talking about the people that he taught. He's talking about the people that he fed. You remember those 20,000 people that were fed from five loaves of bread and two fish? You remember that soldier's son that was, that, that was healed on the brink of death? You remember all those people that followed him and he was trying to get away and relax and, and mourn the loss of John the Baptist? All those people that followed him and bugged him and said, hey, please teach us. Hey, please feed us. Hey, please take care of us. Hey, please spoil me. Hey, spoil me. Hey, spoil me. All of those people that he did that for, they're the people that have chosen not to speak favorably on his behalf. They're the ones that have said, whoa, I might like the dude, but I'm not talking about him. Another point in history where it's a good thing I was not Jesus. Just saying. But think about that for just a minute. How does that feel? Because I would venture to say every one of you, at some point in your life or another, has experienced that same feeling. You've made a sacrifice for another, for a friend or a family member, and they didn't appreciate it. You've went out of your way to help someone you don't even know, and they didn't even take time to turn around and say thank you. You've helped people get through addiction, and when the addiction returns, they completely turn on you. You've given and not been thanked. You've loved and not had it returned. You've shared and it just be taken for granted. Do you understand how Jesus is feeling? <laughs> it really is amazing that he went through all this, isn't it? You know why Jesus could do that and why we can do that? Why we can put up with that kind of stuff? Because what does God think of Jesus? What, what's God's opinion of our Savior? He loves him. And Jesus is doing exactly what God had asked him to do. And rather than being concerned about the way the world viewed Jesus, Jesus said, God, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to follow where you lead. I'm going to listen to what you tell me to listen to. I'm going to speak when you tell me to speak. And I'm going to speak the words that you want me to speak. And I'm going to stand up for the things that you want me to stand up for. Nothing else matters except serving you. That was the message Jesus gave us. No one stood up for him to speak favorably. Everyone was more afraid of the religious leaders. Think about this. What was Jesus' greatest message? 
The biggest message that he was giving was that the Jewish religious leaders had taken what God established and they had made it into this unbearable, unlivable group of laws that no one could live up under. And Jesus is saying, you're wrong, leaders. So he's actually lifting the burden off the people and the people are still more afraid of the people that put the burden on them than they are of the God that that saved them. I would have walked over to the power strip. You know, Jesus has access to lightning bolts. I would have walked over, opened the door, and flipped the switch. Just so, done. Let's try again. God, we got it wrong the first time. How do you respond in those situations? When you're the only student in your class that actually cares about Jesus, wants to live a life for him, and all of your friends around you, and all of the people that are around you that you've been good to, and sometimes even you go to church with, don't want to stand up with you. Do you stand up? Do you stand for God when it's tough? When you've given to people in They don't appreciate it, and they need something again. (laughs) This is where Jesus and I disagree. (laughs) Do you give to them the second time when they didn't appreciate it the first time? Did Jesus? (laughs) Oh, man. That guy's pretty amazing, isn't he? As the worship team comes forward this morning, I want you to do some thinking. I don't know where your life is right now. I I know where my life is right now. But I don't know where yours is. But I do know this. In this room, in a group this size... There are people in very different places in their walk with the Lord. And there are people in very different places in their life. And some of you this morning, you're listening to my sermon, you're like, yep, I got that, yep, yep. I'm doing pretty good, actually. And and God would say to you, I'm glad you're enjoying the blessings I gave you. And I'd like you to continue to share those blessings with other people. Good job. Keep it up. Stay strong. Keep trusting me. Keep serving. I'm still with you and I'm going to be with you. There might be a few rocky roads coming up, but I'm going to be there with you. Some of you, some of you, your life, the, the wheels are getting wobbly. They're still on and you're still rolling down the road and you're still making it and you're still doing okay and and, and your relationship with the Lord is okay. You're still praying every once in a while. You're still reading scripture every once in a while. But you know there's something starting to, there's something starting to shake. And there's something starting to break loose and you don't really want to get to that point. You don't want it to totally, you don't want all the wheels to totally fall off. And God would say, hey, It's okay, hang on. There's going to be rough spots. 
You're going to go over some rocks and you, you, you're, you're going to get some things knocked loose and you're going to have to have some wheels tightened up. It's okay. That's what I'm here for. I, I, want, to, I want to tighten those wheels up for you. Let's keep moving. Some of you, the wheels have fallen off. And you're stuck. You don't really know what God's going to do. You don't really know what God can do. You don't really know if God is going to do anything. And, you, and you're just kind of stuck. And you're, you're in this place where, where you, you say, God, I, God I, I think at one time I thought that you were able to do something. But I don't even know if I believe that anymore. I, I, just, I don't know. And God says, it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. I am here. I do love you. And we're going to get through this together. What we're going to do is we're going to jack this thing up. We're going to put wheels back on it and it's going to be fine. But I need you to get active in this. And I need you, I need you to get involved in this change. I need, you, I need you to get involved in the fix. You can't just sit there. I'm not just going to be able to fix it without your help. I need you to get up. I need you to get involved. And for some of you, life is a train wreck. Nothing is going right. Some of you feel like you failed God so poor, so badly and so deeply that he could never forgive you. He could never accept you. He could never use you. He could, he could never be involved in your life again. You're, you're just stuck. The rest of your life is going to have to be spent without God because God can't love you. You tried doing this Christian thing and you tried doing this church thing, but it, didn't, it really didn't go the way you wanted it to and you, you've, you've given up. And the same God... The same God comes alongside of you and picks you up. He says, okay, let's go. Let's let's go get healthy. Because I sent my son to die for you. He He didn't die for everybody. He died for you. And I can forgive any sin. There's, there's no sin that you can do and there's no amount of times that you can do a sin that takes you away from God's grace. It can't ever happen. And God would say to you, I love you. I love you so much. So my question is, as we sing here a little bit and as, as we spend a little bit of time my question for you is this what message is God speaking to you today what dadism is God trying to share with you today what do you need to hear from him what is he trying to say that you've been unable to hear I don't know that's, that's between you and him but what I do know is somewhere in the message that he has for you is I've always loved you. I do love you. And I'll never stop loving you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank thank you for being who you are. Thank you for the lessons that we learned from your son. God, he was so, so much different than we would be 
And he had, he had so much compassion and he had so much focus and he had so much love. And he, he had so much you. God, just start to fill us today. Start to pour your spirit into us more. We'll be, we'll be careful to return to you the praise. And God, help us to be the people. Help us to be the people that will stand for you even when no one else will. Help us to have the courage to be grateful in, the, in public and when we talk to other people for what you've done in our life. God, forgive us for when we haven't been. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.